Welcome to Digital E, the podcast for healthcare marketers, where we look at the digital news, tools, tips, and tricks for effective healthcare communications. I'm David Schifrin with Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock, and I'm with Lee Acey, digital healthcare pioneer and now healthcare entrepreneur. Today, Lee and I are both confused by CVS moving into selling virtual healthcare goods. Once we get past that, we look at provider organizations planting the flag in the metaverse. And then we have the second of our two-part digital ROI mini-series, this one on how healthcare marketers can position digital programming to justify the ROI. As you're listening to Digitally, don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, and check out everything from Gerard at J-A-R-R-A-R-D-I-N-C.com. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm confused by this story today. Uh, it's from Healthcare Finance. It's, you know, it's confused, but I've got to talk about it. I want to talk about it. CVS files patent to sell goods and healthcare services in the metaverse. And when you read through the article, it's not exactly clear exactly what CVS is going to be selling because... If I fall and slice my hand open, I don't need a, I don't need a metaverse stitching and bandage. I need <laughs> exactly. an actual emergency room. But this is continuing with this rapid rise in stories that we're seeing about what the metaverse is doing and can do. And of course, Facebook has rebranded to become meta and the virtual reality is here and expanding. So yeah, what is your take on, uh, digital goods and services. Yeah, I thought I was confused by it as well because it says, you know, CVS Health wants to trademark its logo, establish an online store, create downloadable virtual goods ranging from prescription drugs to beauty and personal care products. I'm thinking, are we going to have a virtual opioid crisis or what's the deal? (laughs) Just like how does virtual work in that? So I'm not really sure. I think there's... I mean, when when it really gets down to it, I think some of the telepresence stuff that was uh, talked about in, in, in the other article that, that we'll be talking about, and apologize for jumping ahead with it, but it, it no, seems like the... It seems like the immersive experiences for really making that virtual connection be much more like face-to-face, and perhaps even in some ways because you can have some digital measurement sensors attached with them. I think there are some opportunities to to really enhance that experience. I think the the main thing, the main thing out of this story is something that does relate to what I've advocated for a long time is that when a platform comes out that it's really important for big brands to be staking their claim, you know, that they don't want somebody else to be squatting on their name. We had an experience when I was at Mayo Clinic that we had, there was a British rock band that set up a page on MySpace called Mayo Clinic. And the the band's name was Mayo Clinic from County Mayo in Ireland. And they thought that was cute, I guess. But so that gave us some impetus for being able to say, hey, we should set up. This was back when Facebook pages were the new thing. We said, let's set up a page on Facebook to make sure that nobody else claims that. So I think this is just sort of taking that next step on the legal front that where CBS is saying, okay, metaverse is going to be a thing. So let's at least stake our claim here and, and set set out the stakes that we are CVS in the metaverse and nobody else can use that. So it's it's protective as much as it is proactive. I kind of think so. I mean, that's what it looks like to me because I have a hard time wrapping my head around how that, how virtual goods can be. I can see virtual services totally, but virtual goods seem a little bit disconnected. 
Yeah, well, and the article also mentioned that they're they're talking about potentially selling NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which is a whole another Pandora's box that we're not going to get into right now. But that's the other big thing. And again, I personally, I don't see the value in buying any. I don't know what what kind of NFT CVS is going to offer me that's going to make me want to spend the money. Board Ape Yacht Club isn't even enough to get me interested. So I don't know what what CVS is, but. Yeah, I I think there's there you know NFT and then there's another acronym that uses both T and F as well that kind of. <laughs> I think we found the title for this episode. <laughs> All right. Before this goes off the rails, let's move into the second the second section, which is, as you telegraphed, more on the metaverse. Again, not really a platform specifically, but uh, a digital place. This is from a, a Forbes contributor named Bernard Marr, who writes on enterprise tech. The title is "Amazing Possibilities of Healthcare in the in the Metaverse," which got us thinking about again the metaverse as a as a place, as a platform of sorts. There's sort of three areas that that Mar references: telepresence, which which you've mentioned, digital twins, which is really interesting, and then blockchain technology, which we hinted at there with talking about mm-hmm. NFTs. But um, you know, some of this stuff is pretty immediate. I think like the, the telepresence, being able to offer uh, telehealth visits in the metaverse, or simply just by good old fashioned Zoom call, mm-hmm. uh, and then some of it, like the digital twins, is incredibly fascinating. And I think promising, but a much longer play. And this is mapping people's genetics so they can we can experiment virtually and to see how we're going to respond to treatment. So, what are you looking at as uh, the metaverse continues to get more more traction? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the telepresence part has a lot of application right away, and I think that's where organizations could, especially in things like you know counseling and therapy sort of approaches to be able to have that much more immersive experience to to have it be much more like being there would be i think that's that's a no brainer um and then and finding so i'd suggest that for organizations finding someone finding an advocate within the organization within the clinical areas who's really interested in applying this coming around them and and helping them to prove the concept and um, show the value i think is is really a good opportunity the digital twinning does sound fascinating i just think it's hard to uh, i think it's problematic in just even as you know as you map the whole genome how do you know exactly what whether you're taking into account the right factors as you're yeah fast forwarding through 10 years about what happens you know the the whole idea of like you take a twin and you say okay maybe you could run a thousand simulations and be able to then come up with a you know actually as i think it through i think that might be it the monte carlo simulation with digital so it's not just digital twins it's digital you know creating a population out of the out of the twins so just as uh, with with Moore's law and the power of computing increasing, you know, exponentially, probably eventually at some point you'd be able to run those sort of simulations that might give you a better sense of what the range of of possibilities would be given a different intervention. Okay. In the meantime of that, while the scientists and the data the data folks are, are trying to figure out how to do all of that, and we just talked about kind of staking a claim in you know, wherever you are as an organization, the, the metaverse is becoming a more powerful place for brands to engage. And so any other prep work that folks should be thinking about, whether that's with 
HIPAA compliance training clinicians to be thinking about one day possibly entering virtual uh, reality to, to deliver telehealth, anything along those lines? As I alluded to a little earlier, the, I think the key is to find um, the champions, to find the early adopters who are willing to experiment and learn, willing to help sort out what the issues are going to be so that then uh, the organization can apply it on a broader scale. So it's part, and this kind of relates, probably segues into our ROI discussion for this time. That, as I mentioned before, my in my thesis that is the I approaches zero, ROI approaches infinity. One of the big ways that you keep the I low is by getting people to volunteer, by getting people who are already on staff to say, "Wow, this is really cool, and I want to focus my energy on this. I'm, I'm willing to dive in and put in my own effort on it." And so that's that kind of makes the organization more like a startup, you know, even an established organization where you're you've got a lot of people that are psychically betting on the exercising options, so to speak. I mean, they're they're trying to uh, they're creating some some psychic ownership in a new trend, and because of the personal satisfaction that they get out of um, leadership in an area like that. So I think. Finding, identifying, and recruiting uh, people from within the organization that you that you already have to say, would you like to play? Would you like to be involved in this? Is a way to be able to demonstrate that the the potential to demonstrate the return without a major outlay of additional resources, so that you can prove the concept and then hopefully make the case for uh, broader adoption. Okay. In our next conversation, we may. Maybe we'll talk about um, kind of setting up how you set up a a sandbox with enough guardrails to be careful, uh, but also giving people the freedom to test that out. In the meantime, digital ROI part two and talking about how healthcare marketers position digital programming to to justify that ROI. And you've, you've talked about it last time and then just before this. So the last thing you said there was hopefully take the results on to the rest of the organization and leadership and, and, and show the value. What does that look like? How should digital marketers think about helping to get their leadership teams bought into these programs that they're, they're testing out? I think the first thing is they have to be solving a real problem that the organization is either spending money on now or creating new opportunities for generating income. So it's either how can you concretely save money through some of these digital innovations. So if, for instance, if it's telepresence, okay, you're saving time on travel in between meetings and you're enabling people to be able to be more, have less overhead in terms of those face-to-face relationships and, and, and interactions. So figuring out ways that you can um, measure and make the case for that, for the savings that are coming there. But then also beyond that, in testing and learning and seeing where the additional revenue opportunities are. And by trying this out, are we able to make additional connections that will lead to patient volume, will lead to memberships or whatever the model is of acquisition? So, all right, Lee, well, thanks. Okay, uh, yeah, thank you. Okay, yeah.